in the short run, it may not pay off economically, but in the long run, it always will. And you meant you made mention of, you know, I don't do this great, but I know so-and-so that does this great. And let me, let me connect you. Most people, most agencies are not like that. Whether it's services or software, just listen into their sales pitches. And if you have a problem, they can solve it. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. All right, and we're recording. Uh, so, Jason, we have a, uh, a guest with us this week. Um, today, we're joined by Adam Jenkins. So, Adam is a digital analytics veteran with extensive experience in the industry. Uh, he spent time with Starwood Hotels and Resorts, Adobe, as well as founded Digital IQ. Uh, Adam is currently the global data strategy head for Glue IQ. So, Adam, welcome. Thanks for, for joining us today. Thanks, guys. So yeah, it should be I, a, a fun conversation. Should oh, be. totally. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm excited for it. Uh, so I know that was just a quick, brief synopsis of, of, of your time in the industry. So I guess to get things started, why don't, uh, why don't you tell you know, our listeners a little bit more about yourself and some of the experience uh, that, you, that you have? So I am possibly the luckiest person you'll ever meet. Um, I literally got into this industry while I was building boats. I left home after high school with like 500 bucks in my pocket and moved to Massachusetts. I didn't know how to sail. I lived in very low rent and impoverished situations while I was learning how to sail. And through the kindness of a family there, uh, you know, one thing led to another. Fast forward 15 years, I was um, building boats and living in Jacksonville, Florida after working in venture capital after college for a little while uh, and getting kind of burned out. And I met someone and a baby was coming and I needed to make a change. And in Jacksonville, Florida, there's a company called Football Fanatics at the time. Um, and now it's fanatics.com and it's a unicorn. And I literally met this guy who was like, listen, I like the way you think. You have no background in this stuff. We bought this software called Omniture. I don't know if it's implemented the right way. Could you take a look? And that started a series of lucky situations where um, I guess my personality kind of aligned to the market opportunity and I was in the right place at the right time. Uh, and since then, I've been able to change economic strata. I have three beautiful children and have traveled the world. I have friends all over the world and we've built jobs and communities and legacies in places where unemployment is much higher than we face in North America. And uh, it's, it's just been this wild ride that now I find myself coming back into an industry where I think I'm pursuing it or looking at it a little differently um, than a lot of folks as the B2C playbook has gotten beaten pretty hard. Is there a, as a side tangent here, is there a gym fanatics GSI commerce connection somewhere in there? I was thinking the same thing in the last <laughs> like two weeks. I've talked to like four people that have 
all somehow connected to Fanatics. Now, I never worked for Fanatics, but I worked for GSI Commerce, which purchased Fanatics right before eBay uh, purchased GSI, and then they spun out the Fanatics business with a few other business units as part of the deal. So That's yeah, cool. Jason, it's come up in like a couple of our conversations. So I, I had to chuckle when I meant, when I heard you mention Fanatics. <laughs> That's awesome. And Adam has, at least from the outside looking in, been able to strike this uh, amazing balance of um, being a dirtbag with being a uh, change maker in corporate in the corporate world is, is is that a fair observation of what you got going on like i love following your outdoor adventures i'm i'm very envious of that yeah the last few years were um kind of highlighted some gaps in in my emotional intelligence uh and kind of how i saw the world and in a bunch of different ways and one of the ways it was recommended to me to get my head clear was to exercise more i live in utah and um things at home were a little tumultuous. So I got into alpine mountaineering and found a love for climbing that I had given up in the late 90s on the East Coast. And um, now I just am sore and wishing I was younger. Um, but I think that's about right. I I worked with a man named Sebastiano Montino who lives outside of Venice. And, you know, he met this woman and like stopped traveling and he's never left the village and they have a daughter and a son. And he built his career to support the family that he made. And I always went the other way. So going the direction of Sebastiano, yeah, most of the time now I, I try and get success for others and then escape to the mountains as much as possible. Additionally, I have two teenage boys and um, I grew up in Baltimore in the mid 90s, right? It's not the wire, but it's you know a mile and a half away from the wire, right? Like it was kind of chaotic. And I learned a lot of things about life on the hood of cars and with people drinking beers around a uh, street lamp at night and i just think these mountains offer an opportunity to get my boys up and talk about hard conversations and then keep a close eye on them probably more info than you wanted no no that that is awesome so it sounds like they're enjoying time with you as well in the mountains when they do their chores and are allowed to go to the mountains, yes. <laughs> it's a good it's a good reward. Um, so in this time of kind of clearing your head and pondering, you mentioned you're kind of coming back into the space and you feel like there's there's a change or something that you can bring. Like what what's your focus? What's your drive? Like what's your passion of doing something sure. important? So the last five years, um, I was building digital IQ. It went really well. And then um, my personal life, and it kind of started to compete heavily. And last spring, I decided to move into an RV and do 10,000 miles with my kids to the detriment of the company, obviously. And by the end of the year, we had stopped taking contracts and were closing down. Um, and I don't regret it. But what I regret is working in situations where, for instance, in Barcelona or in Spain as a whole, right, there are really good partners but there's not a lot of great practitioners. And so if you take the practitioner skills and you drop them in there, then all of our friends in enterprise software, uh, their products are gonna sustain better. Our friends who are now in VC are gonna start to hit on their investments. And, oh, hidden bonus, you leave behind middle-class jobs where you can watch beautiful Spanish people have beautiful Spanish babies. And the same is true in Italy and Romania and a lot of countries, uh, including Canada, 
that we sometimes overlook. And so I missed that part quite a bit. But one meeting I had in the last three years uh, really stuck with me. I was with a company called Only the Brave, which you probably don't know, but owns a company which you shouldn't know and do called Diesel Jeans. The fact that we live in Levi Strauss land and know Diesel Jeans is an amazing Italian story. Uh, working in Italy, there's a, a pride, and there should be for a lot of Italian history, but there's a pride in the work and, and delivery. Anyways, I went to Only the Brave in the middle of nowhere eccentric CEO. And I'm talking to one of the folks about their misinvestment in customer analytics tools at the time. And they mentioned that they have a partner who puts a skew inside of each pair of pants. And that skew goes all the way back to the cotton barrels that they source in the commodities markets and touches every machine. And we started to brainstorm because immediately my, I took a right turn and was like, all right, how do we get people to like think it's cool to scan a skew because we can link supply side and demand side. Well, that got me thinking more and more. And uh, luckily, I've been exposed to folks like Natalie Kirkland, who's a, a killer AE for uh, SAP and others. And there's a lot of opportunity to take what we know and have mastered high cardinality. The first 10 years of my career were all high cardinality, whether it was in media and advertising or in making sense of data. It was all about the mathematics of too spurious and too large. How do we bring it down and make sense of it? Well, if you look to the other side of that, COVID has exposed something. I work with a toy manufacturer right now, and they're brilliant. They have multiple brands, and like your kids play with their toys, and my kids play with their toys, and they bring home good, healthy messages for girls and the whole nine yards. But COVID showed up. Manufacturing started to slow. Supply started to slow. Marketing has no idea. Suddenly, inventory on site for their number one selling genre of toys, which was the push for the entire year, tanks with an infinity symbol on when it's going to be in stock again, and all the advertising still on because there is no connection in that data. Additionally, we were working with um, a fuel company in France. There's not a lot of them. Uh, they, they have lots of oil. But one of the things that that industry faces is, let's say you have a lot of oil on a ship, going from one place to another. We can talk about energy all you want, but those are the companies that are investing in green energy. You got a bunch of oil on one ship going to another place. The shaft on that ship takes uh, Rolls-Royce Marine Division six months to manufacture. So degradation is really, really important depending on the amount of oil in the market you're going to deliver it to because if it doesn't show up on time and you're in dry dock, you now have a whole big problem, right? Like in March... Why were oil storage futures soaring when oil went to zero, right? Because storage is a big game. But if you're storing it when there's a market for it, it's the opposite of value. These kind of things exist in manufacturing and the supply side, which is now starting to come more and more into our world. And so little things like being able to understand this doll is out of production for X period of time due to either you know, a lack of silicon or the commodities market shifts or there's a strike in Indonesia, who knows? And automatically triggering or being able to interpret that business logic to, to change the way we go to market, uh, there's arbitrage there and there's implied loss. Additionally, there's degradation in machines that work across the supply side. Now, we're working with a healthcare manufacturing company that builds cardiac catheters. 
they have the same thing on on their side for machines that do very specialized things and if they can spot the degradation it doesn't disrupt flow and it doesn't increase price for the consumer and at the hospital level the negotiation doesn't have to change so these are the things that are really interesting to me and i don't think that i'm alone oracle is very geared up for b2b and that's where their integrations and focus are in the product organization adobe bought marketo to start understanding all the different personas in the buyer the buyer channel but I think fundamentally, given the platforms we have and the amount of data capability to ingest that data, because that was a big part of our 10 years, last 15 or so, I think that we're now in a position where we can pivot and start to triage wasted spend at the very least, but more importantly, perhaps start to spot this disruptions in supply chains or so forth and pivot a company's marketing so that they can start to either put another product forward that is more viable or an alternative or exit the market completely and not tarnish a brand. That's fascinating. And I think, you know, you're kind of talking B2B in that portion of the, the supply chain, but as consumers with, with COVID, we've kind of been exposed to that even, even more so that there's these disruptions in the supply chain and now it's, it's facing us, but, before that, having worked in digital, we see it all the time from a retail perspective, the disruption in the supply chain leading to uh, issues with inventory. But to your point, it's never been a focus, at least with the companies we've worked with, to proactively manage um, and reduce risk uh, around that. Is that something that obviously you're personally passionate about that is that something and maybe you can talk a little bit more about glue iq and your role there and what you're trying to do there is there a is there kind of a a mesh there in what you're trying to do and and how how do you tackle such a big thing um that's a great question so the role of glue uh and glue is a bunch of creatives who helped write the book on creative transformations like matt kajawa asked me what I was up to, and I was like, I don't really know if it will work again. I'm kind of dealing with shell shock, and here's what I'm looking for. And he built me this role to be able to make an impact but not have to be the person out front. And he introduced me to one of his partners, and Gaston is this brilliant creative. These folks helped build Sapien into the name we know for their creative capabilities. I just happen to be someone who understands data well enough to complement their work. And so with those guys, we're building out a story that helps their clients. But my favorite thing about helping glue is Afia Khan. She is on hold for Carnegie Mellon's master's program. She's still working in India. She's brilliant and taking on all sorts of marketing technology. And I'm plugging her into engineers and female leaders in Silicon Valley, because that kind of stuff is more rewarding to me. Um, but you, you talk about the first part of your question in the in the role of glue versus this. This is my passion, and this is where I will continue to build no matter what, right? Uh, I will do my day job, and if I need to do it, I'll do it at night. The same reason I started a manufacturing company when I couldn't find, uh, you know, decent, colorful climbing gear for my daughter, and it's all gray. Well, she doesn't want to wear gray, man. She wants to wear pink and climb up the mountain and send it. Anyways, um, this stuff I've got passionate ideas about. So there's a company in Amsterdam called Brainworks and Jasper uh, is, a, is a brilliant guy. For instance, tomorrow on my own time, I'm talking to Jasper and the head of um, logistics and the SAP practice for the Striker Corporation and then uh, an SAP sales executive 
to start understanding what access uh, to data I can get to by signing NDAs and running a gap analysis for free to come back and start figuring out what data is and is not relevant in our world and seeing if our data is relevant to them. Um, so that will continue to move forward. Uh, I think that the industry is demanding it. And um, the more you start to look at companies like Northland Property in Vancouver, who, you know, they pour the concrete in the trucks they own around the rebar that they manufacture to build the hotels that they own with the cash that comes from the bank that they funded and they fund the restaurants on site out of cash as well. And they own Revelstoke Mountain, these kind of holding type companies. I think they're very interested in the arbitrage that exists between their companies and then the unused marketing landscape that they're not aware of, right? So we work with a commercial bank right now um, and they, they weren't aware of how valuable little things like a sign-in page are on an application or just to get into the pages for just showing new features, right? For feature adoption and a whole bunch of other stuff. Well, that exists at infinitum if you own 60 companies like a Jim Pattison, right? And they want to understand that. They want to leverage that. And the, for the very first time, we're now dealing with enterprise tools that can actually step up. At least that's how I feel. So um, kind of taking this viewpoint um, and kind of this area of passion, I'm, I'm wondering... And you had this opportunity to kind of step away from our, our space and kind of take a, a broader view of the world. What, I, I guess a two-part question. Um, number one, what do you see as a major risk to digital um, for what we're doing today? And maybe to complement that question, what advice would you have for, for digital? And I'm coming from the perspective of we're typically lower down in the organization. And I think as an industry, we're, we're overly comfortable with where we're at and haven't really pushed to have a lot of these complex, larger conversations, some of the things that, that you're talking about. So I don't know if you can piece those, to, those two yeah. things together, but does that make sense? I do. I think the, the threat to digital is being solved and visibly witnessed when you have to invest such a large amount of money around organizational readiness, support and maintenance, and getting folks in a room to simply accomplish best-in-class practices. I think that there's a time and a place for, here's how you do it, and then everybody who was called to do that should leave the room, and very few companies ever get to the leave the room stage. So the threat to digital, I think, is what we've created ourselves, which is it's very easy to find ways for people to write checks for enterprise software, but you know, raise your hand if you're getting value. How many times have you heard, I don't get value out of this, it's not exactly what, what I've been looking for. So as solutions for analytics, for instance, become a line of code you can drop and you get like 60 to 80% of the way there, and then you can go back with somebody and hack together JavaScript because, oh, by the way, that still works. Then you start talking about you know, where is the pressure? And what I'm seeing, starting with countries that typically have a smaller portion of marketing spend, uh, you know, less mature, more reticent environments, starting there and working back through you know, more opulent and successful, all the way across the board, there is pressure on enterprise solutions to show value. And more than ever, the folks who've built a scoreboard and it have clearly socialized their tools and how they're working and how it impacts the business are doing well. And the folks who haven't are behind eight ball. Uh, so I think the threat to digital is the fact that the ecosystem we've built 
ultimately is not self-serving. It's not sustainable in many ways. And then inversely, there's still a prevailing mentality in some companies because it's more profitable and easier to sell your business. That if I ingrain myself into your business because I'm a trusted advocate and we just work together that way and you can move CapEx faster than you can move OpEx or vice versa, then I'm helping your company. And I, I just, I always think about politics. I went to college to argue and studied politics because I didn't want to study math like all the hard classes. Uh, anyways, and all I can think about is no entangling alliances and, you know, partnerships are service of each other. But how many relationships between two businesses where one is a software entity and one is a service industry are actually partnerships? It's just not so much a symbiotic relationship as it is you eat what they can't get in their mouth because they don't have thumbs. And so I, I don't know if that's in the best interest of the client. And I think that there are some folks who are keenly focused on making logical leaps and making it easier to understand. I, for one, would rather focus on education. And so a lot of the outside world sees me taking shots at Adam Greco. I, I do not I despise the man, right? I think he's absolutely in line thinking with the project they're running down there right now about implementation and also the education. I get angry two years ago when it was like, hey, sign up for this class in Sydney so we can come down and teach you. At that time, the folks in Australia were thirsty, like they haven't gotten water in a thousand years for any sort of help to scale things like Santander Bank or ANZ Bank or these companies that need us to put our foot forward in, in knowledge. And then understand that the relationships in business will make good on the other side. And that if we can help bring knowledge and things like that into an area, at the very worst, we're going to make enough friends to get invited for dinner if we ever go on vacation. But at very best, they might introduce us to other companies who are, are a little more afraid to show their spots who might need a little bit more help. It, it's an interesting conversation. Do you think it's, and I'm sure it's not as, as clear cut as this or one side versus the other, but <laughs> where does the problem lie? Is this a business leadership, business culture problem, or is this a individual problem where inherently um, we have this need to be defensive and defend ours? And if, if I'm helping over here, we can't have a symbiotic relationship. If you win, I lose kind of mentality, which is far too widespread in, in the business world. Where, where do you think the problem lies where we can't create these strong relationships? We can't do things that are for the betterment of the whole. And to your point, that comes back and we all kind of reap the benefits of that. that. That's a great question. And I think if we think about managing a multinational portfolio, um, after you get it all set up and you can look at portfolio or the individual brands, I think the answer's in there, right? So, Let's say you got 10 cruise ships and they're all different brands and they range from like 20,000 a week where it's two people all the way down to like bring everybody for a stag party and all you can drink wristbands like and everything in between, right? The number one competition you're going to have is you're going to want to send more than one of those brands to let's say Alaska or the Bahamas, right? But how do you differentiate and swim to your own area without stepping on the feet of your neighbor? Right. And that that is very similar to what I think is plaguing our marketplace. Go and Google Google Analytics Consulting. Uh, go and Google digital transformation or website optimization. Like everybody's got a hat in the game. Right. There is no structured 
understanding in the marketplace of like, all right, I'm going to start a three-person agency and our profitability is going to be 600%. And then I'm going to get acquired because that's what happens to get to the next stage and then get some management and blah, blah, blah. There is no, it's sporadic, right? And some people get anointed and some people don't. I, I was running an agency that somehow was white labeling consulting for one of the largest companies in the world. How did that happen? Thank God, right? We're building software, this kind of stuff. I, I don't know, but the diversification needs to continue. Right. And I think that there are very deep wells that are just complex and people are reticent to go into them because it takes more skin in the game. Big B2B companies, they don't have to rely on marketing and they haven't. It's like steering a brand. Right. And I've always thought the bigger the company, the more glacial the pace of change. Right. Think of Leo and his movie in the late 90s. We all had to go on dates for and the boat didn't change really quickly. Like, you get a bigger rudder, you get a bigger rudder, right? Like, it, take, it takes a while. So if we, if we can start to think about these areas that are opening up and people can understand that perhaps you're more economically mature in your career, which is very long, it might make sense for some of the folks who killed it in the B2C world to step over into other arenas and take a stab at it by putting a little skin in the game. And that's how we grew Digital IQ. It went badly because I was left with a personal choice and stopped paying attention to my business and my partners. And that's not how you treat people. But it, I got an amazing family out the other side. I don't advise anyone to find themselves on that crucible. But the way we grew our business wasn't through advertising or white papers or beating our chest or going into the market. Right. It was somebody picks up the phone and says, hey, I got this problem. that's really hard. And I don't know if what I'm being told is correct. You seem to know this stuff. Can you take a look? Right. And then when it's time to replatform, all right, well, I don't know Launch as well as this small firm in Utah, but this one time, this guy and I, when he was starting his firm, went from zero to 60. With, we literally had kids each that December and November on our laps, and we replatformed a company, and by two quarters later, they had cut the cost per lead on $30,000 programs by 80%, right? Like, it's introducing people who are better and getting out of the way and staying in your lane, right? It's, okay, here's what we're really good at and not overreaching. We, we famously, when I was still with Adobe, had this guy named Mark L, and I'll leave it at that, in New York. And he took a complex customer analytics software, which was great for like tying together web and call and ATM and all this data, somehow sold it to a bank as a CRM, right? There is no worse position for consultants to show up to implement than that. And I always thought that that was indicative, not necessarily of anything other than the competition in the market and he just needed to sell. And I think very much we're competing for dollars in ways we don't have to. There's very deep waters that people aren't looking at. And I think it's to our own detriment. Like, I really think the educational piece that people are focusing is on the way, like, that's the way. Pair with Stephen Marshall. Go to the schools. Get people at UW and say, hey, listen, let us start internship programs with you. And in return, we will guarantee every graduate of this internship program full employment within the Fortune 100 because those are the clients we work with, right? And we can solve two problems. But there's a lot of risk. And there's a lot of poaching and it's not as bad as it used to be. So I don't have the solution other than I think people are being a little too narrow in what they're doing. And I don't know if that's hiding. They don't actually know what they're doing or they don't want to branch out. But it's the, the world that I see it, uh, which 
like Teddy Roosevelt, I draw a circle around the U.S. and I think, all right, what's everything on the outside? Teddy Roosevelt was the same way up until then. Presidents thought about everything on the list and in the law, and he thought, well, if it's not on the list, it doesn't mean I can't do it, right? I think I think that there's a lot of people out there with much more mobile labor forces that can help solve some of these problems than we're thinking about. You can work Europeans, EU, EU passports in Canada. Why is Western Canada a drought for digital marketing technology? No idea. So how did you get to this... Um... I don't know, a lightened state where you felt comfortable in your own skin to just be who you are and vulnerable and, and just honest with companies and clients. Because I think what, what I heard you say is that you have this extreme trust, faith, I don't know what the right word is, that by doing the right thing, by being honest, that in the short run, it may not pay off economically, but in the long run, it always will. And you meant you made mention of, you know, I don't do this great, but I know so and so that does this great. And let me let me connect you. Most people, most agencies are not like that. Whether it's services or software, just listen into their sales pitches, and if you have a problem, they can solve it. They they know everything about every solution, and and they're gonna spin whatever they're selling to fit fit your problem. Your, your way of talking, I think, is very refreshing to companies. And it's probably why so many people come to you as like a sage or like, I need your advice because they know if I ask Adam, it's like, he's going to tell me what it is, whether it directly financially benefits him or not. That's, that's not common. How did you, I mean, have you always been like that? Did you cult, like, how did you get to that point? Uh, yeah, it's a great question. It, it's a recurring theme. So in another conversation, we can talk about whether reality is a, a simulation or not. But it's a recurring theme in my life, and my spotting patterns is is kind of it. So um, I struggled significantly with adolescence and ne nearly lost my life a number of times. Uh, and out of that was introduced to a group of people that helped me get over that specific hurdle. But their ethos was you got to give this thing away to keep it. And that selfishness and self-centeredness, that's the root of our problem, right? It's not this other thing, which is like a symptom. And then I got an Omniture login when I was a boat builder and still stuck inside of a bottle, right? And I was able to feed two kids. And my first boss was a guy named Don Binion. And he said, hey, man, serving other people is, is how we're going to make this thing grow together. And so that was the very first lesson I got when I started working really in tech. And then... You know, I came to Utah and I met a whole group of people that, you know, whether you agree with their ideology or not, via after persecution and hatred and everything else, their attitude is still service of others and they're happy. And so I grew up pretty unhappy. I made myself pretty unhappy. I, and for the first time in my life, I have been able to understand that there's a lot of happy moments, you know, racing sailboats when you're 18 across oceans is amazing, especially if you didn't grow up sailing at all, right? Like, how the hell did that happen? I don't know, right? My brother having an argument with his wife in London and being in the type of company where I could be in London the next day, unbelievable. My father fell down in Texas and the guy sitting across from me in Seattle had had, th you know, throat cancer, uh, thyroid cancer at 27, which was strange and was introduced to the National Institute of Health. He's on the phone and all of a sudden my dad, has 
NIH treatment and we're in year eight of stage four cancer. Like it's a, life, it, my life has been completely empowered on retrospective analysis through the love and kindness of strangers. And in rare instances, I've been able to cultivate those strangers into something more. But more often than not, even in the stranger category, just being kind to people has come back and benefited myself or the ideas that I want to see benefited tenfold. And at this point in my career, I'm going to work until I'm 50. And if that means I'm going to live in Costa Rica on a beach and like eat fish tacos, I have to catch. Okay. But if it means I can also pay my rent here in America, fantastic. But the only thing I want to do for the rest of my life is watch everyone take the ride I took and be introduced to mental health care and be introduced to how to save money and buy a house and do all these things that I was not shown. And I think what's unique about our industry is that these skills translate to smart people, regardless of language. And the measure Slack channel proves that. And I think this is a normalizing way we can go and change people's lives by teaching them stuff that comes second nature to us. So two questions. Number one, um, speaking of sailing, have you seen the documentary Go Fast, Go North? I have not, but I will. Oh, very enjoyable. You should watch it. It's on, I think it's on Amazon Prime. It may be on Netflix. It's very good. Um, I found it enjoyable. I thought of you when I watched it. I'm like, I can see this being Adam. <laughs> it's, it's a little crazy, a little fun. Um, second question is, we can all play a role in education, regardless of where we're at. Um, what can we be doing better as an industry? What can we be doing better as individuals, whether we're at an agency, whether we're building an agency, whether we're client side, whether we're a senior level executive, what can we do to give back? I, I think it's a critically important part of, of what we do. I met with, uh, I met with a guy yesterday that's looking to start up a, a new agency. Um, and there's a lot of parallels to this conversation. Um, He's, he's from the Middle East and he's he's looking to give back and he's like, there's so many smart, educated people here, but they don't have the opportunity to take advantage of that. I want to change that. Um, and and I spent an hour with him and he's like, he's like, I just appreciate you giving back. I'm like, I have to like this. I, I feel compelled to, to do this. Um, what can we be doing more to give back, to teach, to I, I think a lot of people probably want to do it, but they don't know where to start. They're maybe not in a position to run an internship program, but they still have something to offer. What what advice do you have for them? Well, number one, keep a list. One of the first things I was ever taught by any Richard Perrell, who's probably cashed out long ago. He was talking about buying domains when I was trying to figure out how to boil pacifiers and such. But um, his... His approach to business was, all right, you, you learned it, go teach someone else. And if they can do it, then they then you learned it. Uh, and I thought that that was a pretty good way because when you're building boats, it's the same way, right? Like you're lighting up $3 million boats, like you don't really want to make a gap. Um, and so it's kind of learning as you go. And Education for me is a part, it should be a part of everyone's job and no, no matter what they're doing, it's enormously empowering to be able to be the voice. So let's take a squeaky wheel. I've heard years at how do we scale analytics practices? Well, who's the squeaky wheel? Like who's the most annoying person in finance in your world? Great. That is your person, right? Because they want to know your stuff. 
right? They might not communicate well. I'm guilty of low emotional maturity when I don't hear what I want to hear, right? Everybody has their moments. But if they can learn your weird complex nerdery and turn it into their own weird complex nerdery, suddenly you you have a proxy in finance to catch 80% of the garbage, right? And I, and I think that that mentality needs to be more prolific. Every time I've ever been able to be fortunate enough to be able to be asked to assemble a group of people to focus on an idea, I've always tried to make it a, a large part of any discretionary funding or any oversight that I had specifically to their ability to educate other people. Whether it's just holding webinars and let's see how many people attend and is it making sense? Can I help you be a better presenter to different audiences? Or is it actually teaching people tools and so forth and reinforcing complex knowledge? There's a guy I worked with named Tony Papusek. He's brilliant. He's this Midwestern engineer. And we had a huge falling out. Is what happens when companies come apart. But um, he is always studying something else. And I love that. Because my grandfather, who failed out of high school and literally talked his way into Georgia Tech and graduated magna cum laude and helped set up Georgia Power, like a crazy story. Um, you know, he, he always told me that the people that he saw not make it very far in business were the ones who couldn't be taught anything. And so if you can remain teachable in all scenarios, you're probably going to do all right. That's hard. Ego gets in the way and you start hearing expert and all this stupid stuff. But if, if education is a part of how someone thinks about building a practice, if they think about you leaving, understanding this is the goal, not the grade you get on the exam, I think the approach is different. So instead of studying to the test, right, st study to the value. And the, one of the ways that I've always been successful at it, because I have no MBA, I have no business background, I've fallen ass backwards into every success I've ever had. And it's like, we started Digital IQ because my ad agency was like, it's hard to talk to people like you. Can you start a company? Okay. I believe that if you empower other people, and you ask them what they want to do, and then you get out of their way to do it, they in turn will empower other people, right? And we just don't do enough of that. And it's so easy to get caught up in like getting the kids to school or falling in love or buying a house or being a good son or a good daughter. Or like, should I live close to my parents? All these normal life things. There's a pandemic. How do I protect myself? What's real? What isn't? They coming back to the fact that we work so that we can have the lives we want is sometimes lost and there's a lot of value especially right now being questioned and a lot of people i know who've been laid off or are finding struggles in the industry or or at a point in their career where they're no longer finding fulfillment in the pursuit of growth that they used to and i honestly feel like every time you work with other people that goes away did you know that 50 percent of every child of a prisoner. 50% of all children of prisoners do a bit. They don't go to county. They go to a federal penitentiary, 50%. Okay, so right there. You, you want to train analytics. Well, I can point you to an eloquent agency in Arizona that works with convicts inside and out and trains them in eloquent and they get paid whatever and they structure the stuff and they come out and they can work in the software, right? And it's going to change people's lives. Just Having someone there for that kid reduces the likelihood of going to prison massively. These kinds of things are not that hard. We're just not looking in the right places. 
everybody is supporting the right ideas. Diversification is absolutely the way to go. I am a inclusion kind of guy. I don't believe in bullies and I think exclusion is bullying and I think the syntax of it stinks. But if we think creatively, there's a lot of labor that we can pivot right now, right? There's a lot of smart analysts who used to work in Cognos who could probably figure out how to run analysis and feed APIs, right? And make the last 10 years of their careers and their 60s from home. We're just not looking for it. No, we're comfortable within our own space. And we kind of, uh, in the in the sporting analogy, we just kind of change teams and we're going from team to team to team, but we're not bringing you know new talent is? in. And Michael Holbrook. Who you is? Know that name? Michael Holbrook hired like I 26 do. interns in the middle of COVID or so, something massive into Adobe. They, they had this massive intern program, which you can imagine, woohoo, gets thrown up in the air in March. They'd landed an internship for each of them. They were able to keep it. And then they were able to fulfill the job placements that they had planned. That's amazing to me. That means that sacrifice awesome. was made somewhere else, just given the nature of the marketplace. Uh, so I think that there are examples of, of, of that taking place. There's a woman named Swedish Shaw who's in paid media with Home Depot. She and I have worked together for years. I think the world of it. She is very good at, spot, at spotting female Asian talent that will immediately impact teams. If you need someone in your agency who can nail it and spend $300 million and be held accountable, like reach out to Suida. She will know a handful of people. And, and I think that those exist. The question I have is why do we not have a centralized area where nobody's taking a piece off the top on, on linking these folks together. I've always thought it's in the industry's best industry interest to guarantee full employment through internships with their clients in colleges. I've, it's always baffled me that the, the, the software companies are not spending more and putting more skin in the game in the colleges <laughs> to, get, to get it in, ingrained. Like you, you can take Photoshop That's... classes out the wazoo, but like, how many different ways can you learn Adobe Analytics in a classroom in a college setting? You can't, but that's easily right. a skill that produces a six-figure salary and introduces you to an entire way of thinking for a business, which is mission critical now. Well, I, I mean, I think the problem is that most people that can, ab can enable that to happen, um, they're beholden to quarterly goals. I, this is a conversation I've had with Adobe, and I'm sure you have as well. We, we see that this is a no-brainer to seed this in higher education, but how do you spin that and say, this is going to start paying off four or five years from now? Well, <laughs> again, like, well, yeah, I mean, you gotta, you got to, like, take something off the point. Like, the, where the money shows up is when they gain employment. I don't want to take something out of somebody's paycheck. <laughs> so think harder is what I go back to when people think of a business model. I don't know. I don't know why altruism isn't a bigger part of it, but I think Mr. Benioff has done some great stuff, regardless of the politics and all of the arguments. You know, at least taking a stab to get involved with some of the margins that we see is pretty cool. So speaking of the higher education model, I mean, I owe you a lot of uh, gratitude for introducing me to, to Stephen Marshall, um, who has all then connected with Jim. Um, amazing guy, doing yeah. amazing things, super fighting passionate. Super passionate. Um, his students are, I, I don't know if they realize how fortunate and lucky they are to, to, to have him. He, he is doing phenomenal things. Um, 
how 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 can we start talking with higher education and maybe even it goes lower to to public education at the high school level like how can we create more stephen marshalls so genius in the has an interesting idea about uh, high school age her sister is an educator i want to say in the bronx uh, and Janice is always in, she she has this idea of going di- direct to those students as and offering an alternative to college, or at least a, like if you go down this path, you can fund your own college, and then some kind of, kind of thinking. Um, yeah, I think we don't go going to schools is the wrong way. Like soccer, education hasn't paid well since Socrates, right? Like this isn't new. I think the companies that are sitting on massive margins are the ones that should be working with the schools. Uh, Amazon's the one who needs 500 analysts, not the University of Washington, right? Procter & Gamble needs all sorts of stuff, right? United Paper, hey, you know all the toilet paper runs, right? They're gonna need folks for all sorts of stuff, right? Uh, Analysts are going to stay in demand, and I think it's irresponsible to look to students who struggle to see beyond the end of their nose, and that's a big part of that age, to, to solve it. I think it goes the other way. Where the money is uh, should be investing heavily here so that these people find, number one, goodwill with their companies, and number two, um, do not struggle as their parents did. For instance, in, in Italy, if you are under the age of 40, you're guaranteed to make less money than your parents, like on, on average, for the same job. <laughs> That's a terrible place to be born, right? But if you can get into digital marketing, it, it, it changes. So in my mind, why is Prada, why, why are uh, Fiat Chrysler, why are the Luxoticas of the world not reaching out to the universities and saying, listen, we are the ones who need these people to know this. How do we help you augment what we see in the world? Like, I always thought it was strange that I needed to broker that conversation. Uh, every company I've ever worked with has a hard time finding talent. It just seems like they need to augment their HR practices to be inclusive of schools and maybe scratch a few backs on both sides. I think, you know, schools get people to apply for programs. Stephen Marshall's program, you know, they, they broadcast their employment and so forth. They get people to compete in highly competitive environments based on where they get placed, right? T15, T14 law school. Uh, you're, you're probably going to get into a top five, top 10 law firm, or you can go work for one of the smaller boutique firms that make a pile of money, right? But we don't think about that. And these are massive investments. You know, companies are going out and spend 20, 30, 40 million dollars over 10, 20 years with, with Adobe, Oracle, and all these companies. But they're not thinking this way, even though they like, they understand the insurance market and they have 500 actuarials. That, that makes no, no sense to me. And so I think there's an enormous amount of technical debt, which the likes of you two deal with every day. Ha ha, I hate that stuff. Uh, and I think there's also an enormous amount of just social debt that we have in our space that needs to be resolved. But I don't think schools have money, especially now. And I think they are thirsty for ways to stay relevant in education that will make the connection mentally between investing with a relationship in this school at the age of 18 will yield this relationship when I'm 24. Because right now it's it's a little blurry. It is. It is. Um, all right. So I have two more questions that I want to make sure we touch on. The first one is, and you made me think of it when you were talking about um, generational wealth in, in Italy. Um, you you kind of started out the conversation talking about the importance of highlighting and helping people. Um, 
what, what, uh, and I keep kind of asking a similar question, but what in where we are um, in our careers, what can we be doing better to, to help others out? I think about it all the time. Um, I don't know if you know, my, my great grandpa left Italy in the late 1890s. Um, he saw the future was not bright for his family of what he wanted them to become. And I think about that all the time that I don't feel, I somewhat don't feel worthy to be in the position I'm in because I know without him making that decision, I'm probably in a completely different place. And I think about that all the time when I think about giving back that if I'm not, I'm, I'm doing his sacrifice a huge disservice. Um, we're, we're all in somewhat similar situations in this space. We're very fortunate. We get paid very well. We, we have great connections. We, we know people that can make things happen. What can we be doing better to give back, to train? Again, I, I think when a lot of people think about it, they think it's a mountain too high to climb, but we, we all can do something. What can, if someone's listening to this and saying, I'm motivated yeah. by Adam's yeah, desire yeah. to help people, what can I do? Take it to other people. So there's a bank in Brazil. Um, it's way bank. By far the most advanced analytics practice in South America, right? You would think Mercado Libre because Mercado Libre is the only name you're going to hear competing with Amazon, but it's not. <sighs> Take that there. Their practice is now gutted and nobody got the case study. And it makes me angry because if that case study was distilled last fall and handed out to all the other banks in, in Brazil, uh, there is more opportunity for avoidance of some of the catastrophes that are felt in other parts of the world. So I would say take it to places that need it, right? Did you know you can hire folks in Colombia who speak English and Spanish and are proficient in Microsoft Word for like $7.80 an hour? How much do you think it would cost to make them proficient in Google Analytics or just tying together APIs? Uh, so I, I honestly think that we focus a lot in North America because that's where a lot of the pie is. And if you want to make money, you can make money. Great. That's fine. I, I'm a capitalist. They just turned into a hippie along the way. <laughs> uh, but if you want to do for others, there, there are audiences that will absolutely not reject help. If you know Enterprise Analytics, there's a guy named Fetty Tota, Federico Tota, who's a country president of... Uh, Adobe in Italy, right? Him, Deloitte, a whole bunch of people can partner up with you and do a little mind meld. But I don't know how much money there's going to be in it for people, right? There's a need. In, the, lo in the long run, there is. Yeah, exactly. It, it's, it's endearing, right? The part that I don't get and that I hope that someone lights up is, you know, there's all these apps that, like, I can get coffee, club, whatever, Everywhere, especially in cities like London and so forth, right? But nobody's developed an easy-to-consume, easy-to-deploy, partially automated, AI-driven digital marketing suite for that level that could live in a 2 or 3% margin like a Visa for a small merchant and scale up. I, I, that part is really interesting. There's a venture capitalist named Victor, Victor Tartura who sits on a massive fund out of... Um, Hong Kong, but he, he does it in Vancouver. And he, he's interested in that, but we just couldn't find anybody running those analytics. That's the kind of stuff that I think is, is going to hit. Like the, the folks who are making 900 grand a year selling software, they're going to keep selling software. 
the the companies who are on the rise up and are willing to trade kindness for being correct in in moments those are the ones that are interesting i like that the educational piece i don't know man the way we did it is we just gave away a percentage of margin towards education so my last question is what question were you hoping i asked that i didn't what 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 were you hoping i asked that you're just like burning to talk about uh burning to talk about yeah, I tried I to have a I tried to have a wide swath of questions there, but if I missed anything, definitely jump in. I don't know much more than I started out with in this world, <laughs> and so I feel like if there's value in any sort of conversation, great. I I would simply say this: that careers are very long, and that before you step into the world of entrepreneurship, I love it. I like being in diamond making situations, which require heat and pressure. But I always did. I always liked the most foobar stuff to work on because it's the hardest puzzle, but that's me. Before you step into those environments as an entrepreneur, look at your network. Look at other people who are willing to step out there as the point of the sphere and manage the P&L who need what you bring to the table and figure out a structure where maybe that stuff you don't know, you don't have to go in 100%. I see a lot of entrepreneurs get crushed who are fantastic practitioners, but they don't know how to sell. Yeah. Or a lot of people who don't know how to manage business. And one of the things that I've never had a problem with in our industry is reaching out to people and getting mentors. And so I, I'm hoping that you are mentoring people. I, I'm hoping that I'm mentoring and Brooks Bell and all of us who 10 years ago were swapping, you know, patches on Twitter via HTML. I, I'm hoping that that's the focus. Uh, and and not dollars, because it seems like in my life, everything I've ever pursued to be good at, the money's always showed up, whether it was sailing or kids or anything else. But everything I pursued for money left me pretty empty. I don't know if it's the same for other people. Uh, very wise words. I think you're you're absolutely spot on. Adam, it has been an absolute pr- pleasure. I, I, I'm glad you reached out. It took way too long to get you on the the podcast i appreciate you sharing your your wisdom and and knowledge you've gained along the way um and uh love the conversation love what you're doing keep uh keep giving back keep helping people um you're doing good things pray for snow it will snow see you adam Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.